Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. This is a, an incredible section just before this. The Apostle Paul is kind of concluding his three-chapter kind of dissertation on why factions and division in the church just don't make sense and why they shouldn't, shouldn't matter. And so just before this, he kind of turned everything upside down and said, look, you don't belong to Apollos or Paul or Cephas. You belong, they belong to you. You have everything in Christ. And so he's, he's been kind of landing the, the division, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's landed the division kind of argument, and he's moving into some of the other things that the church in Corinth really had to deal with. And what's brilliant is he's, he's doing it incredibly wonderful. He, he closes the argument today, and he also does it by laying a huge foundation for where the rest of this book will go. He lays down this incredible foundation for the rest of the arguments about what the struggles the church with Corinth was going through. It's just going to get really thick and difficult, but he kind of lays that foundation today. And through this text today, he answers kind of three real pivotal kind of big questions that every single one of us probably asked to some extent at some point in our lives. And so we'll work through those today. So again, chapter four, verse one is where I'll be reading today. This is how one should regard us, speaking of the, the apostle Paul, Cephas, Apollos as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even, even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. And so as he, as he kind of digs into this and kind of ends this and lays out with where he's going, he, he says, this is how you should view us. If you want to understand who we are and what the purpose is, this is how you should view us. And so the first question he answers for us is, what's expected? What's the expected posture of anyone who is in the church? This is the first question. He's saying, look, this is what you need to do with us. And he doesn't identify himself just alone here because just a little bit further down in four, we'll get there. He says, imitate me as I follow Christ. So he's not, he's not separating himself as apostles here and say, this is, this is only what you should regard of us. He's saying, this is ultimately how you should view all of us. Anyone who's in the church, this is the posture with which you should operate. And he says two words in here that are very common and we see them all over scripture, but one of them he uses a totally different version and it's really, really impressive. The first one is he says, servant. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you look anywhere, he'll say bondservant, and he'll say servant all over about who he is to Christ. But this is the only time he actually uses this form of the Greek word. And this word actually doesn't mean the, the slave or some of the other things. It's actually a word that's used for under rowers. Picture the ships in their day, they would have rowers down below, and someone would be beating the drum or telling them when to row. He's saying that we are under rowers. We're, we're at the bottom of the ship. We're not on the top. We're not, being, we're not doing what, we're not telling people what to do. We are just following orders. He's saying, ultimately, that's what we are, is we are underrows, we are laborers, we are working hard under authority, being told what to do, being told when to row, being told when not to, and that's all we're doing. You don't break those rules, you follow those rules. And that's how he says, this is who we are. 
If you want to know who we are, we are literally laborers underneath the ship. No one's going to know our name. We're not of any value or importance greater than anyone else. And every other person is supposed to jump in the ship and start rowing with us. This is how we ought to be as servants to the Lord, under rowers. And so he's, he says, look, most of this, and begin, if you think about it, the factions were happening because they were trying to elevate these individuals by their style of preaching or their style of communication as, as to whether they were using the right words or seemingly more wise to this world standard. And he's saying, our names don't even matter. Our only purpose, our only job is to do what we're told, and we are laboring. We are working hard. We are servants. You know, the Apostle Paul has another word for ministers, kind of the same word, but kind of the idea of this is the picture of what he views those that are serving the Lord. We get it in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10. This is what God, the Apostle Paul sees as a servant. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. But most of us, if we saw that was a job description to be a servant of the Lord, we wouldn't sign up very quickly. But he's trying to establish something, saying, look, if we're going to, if we're going to deal with the issues that, that are, are festering in this church in Corinth, if we're going to, if we're going to attack this, if we're going to, if I'm going to answer these questions truthfully, then you have to, you have to understand who I am and my role. And that he says, look, I'm a, I'm an under rower. I'm a servant. I'm a bond slave. I am excited to serve underneath the Lord and to do my role and not get any knowledge. It's not like anyone gets high five down there in the rowing ships. Hey, you're rowing so great. No, it's, it's just do your job. Do what you were made here to do, set here to do. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, ultimately, as servants, this is the posture with which we, as followers of Christ, should operate in. Not looking for limelight or looking for other people to notice us, which is what we're going to talk about in a second, but recognizing that we are commissioned. We have a job, and we are to do our job. And he says another thing. He uses the other word. He uses steward. Now, this is a more common word, and it's used all over Scripture. And usually what this means is it's essentially someone who is the highest-ranking servant of a wealthy landowner who was in charge of the entire state in the master's absence. So this is a person that was a slave but was responsible for the entire home, responsible for everything. And so they had high level of responsibility, but they couldn't do anything that was outside of the master's rules. They were still following the master's rules, but the, the master trusted them so much that he said, hey, run it. We see this out of Joseph, and we see this all over the scriptures. We see the, the parable of the talents. We see this over and over again. And so this was a steward. This is someone that has something that's not their own, but has been commissioned by God to share, to resource, to, to give out, and to manage, and to run underneath the guidelines of what the master expected. This is another posture thing for us. We are to steward everything that we have. Everything, every talent, every gift. And this is so important for us to understand, especially when he gets into the spiritual gifts. Because the assumption is that we, we, they started dividing over those as well. That look what I can do. Look at how amazing my spiritual gift is. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. You're just a steward. This has been given to you. Any talent you have has been given to you for the Lord's purposes. Whether we use it for the Lord's purposes is our issue. A gift, a talent, resources, money, everything you have has been given to you to steward for the Lord. Many of us don't have that posture in our life. 
Again, we, we, we struggle enough to see ourselves as an under-rower, being okay with just doing the, the nitty-gritty and not getting a praise for any man. We also struggle to, to steward the very things that God's given us. We hold on, it's mine. Oh, we may steward, but we steward for ourselves. It's my time. It's my money. It's my, my musicianship. It's my roles. It's my happiness. And we, we don't steward the very things that God has given us. And he's saying, look, you are a steward. So if you want to know what posture is expected from the Lord, it's this, to be an under-rower and to steward and to recognize that ultimately that is all we are to do. We are to, to give of everything we have because everything that we have is his. We are to, to jump in the ship and start rowing on pace, under command, within the guidelines with which God has set. And the Apostle Paul says, this is how we are to view us. This is how you are to be. He goes on here and he says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faith. This answers another huge question that all of us have. What's expected of us for our own accountability with God? Like, if we, okay, we, we understand we have a steward. What's expected? Is it like, is it, is it, when we talk about finances, is it 10%? Is it 20%? When we talk about our time, is it, is it a day? Is it going to one service and attending another one and serving one? What is, what is the standard at which the account, like, what are we accountable for? How is the Lord truly going to, to hold us accountable to the very things that we're giving? And he says right here, it's, it's to be found faithful. It's not performance driven. It's not based on how well I do it. It's not based on the quality of what you do it. Although all those things are important, it's that are you found faithful in doing so? Are you faithful as a servant and a steward? One scholar wrote it this way, the Corinthians were assessing their leaders on the criteria of wisdom, eloquence, and impressive personal presence. In stark contrast, God's basis for judgment is very different. Those given a trust must prove faithful. Someone or something is faithful if you, have, if you can have confidence in it to, to accomplish something. In this regard, God expects no less than he himself delivers. For, as Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1.9, God is faithful, a thought that's repeated in 10.13. A basic attribute of God is his dependability, whereas we may be tempted to judge ministers on their success or initiative or giftedness in terms of interpersonal relationships or speaking. The sole requirement Paul counsels them to keep in mind is their faithfulness to God. This is what we will be held accountable for. This is the expectation that God has for us, is, is that we, we, we stand faithful. Faith is a gift from God given to us by Him. So he's, he's literally holding us accountable by something He's giving us and us living in. And so do you find yourself faithful? And this is, this is one of those things that is so important. Look, I am all about following and loving podcasts and all those things. Like I joke, there's a few scholars that I've asked into my heart. I know it's a sinful thing. I'm working on okay, <laughs> right? Like, like there's just some people like, man, I love the way they speak. I love their humor. I love the way that they pull the word of God. And I think it's very, very profound and beautiful. But the measure with which they will be, that they will be held accountable for is their faithfulness, a measure which I could have no idea if it's true. I don't, I don't know these people I listen to. I just know what I hear of or see of them. Our standard, our metric, when we're looking at someone, when we're, when we're assessing someone, it's not, it's not whether or not they're eloquent or they're amazing or they, they say less ums than someone else or they, they're funnier than someone else. It's are they faithful. That's the only measure that's used, faithful. May we be a people that are faithful. And really, for us to understand the answer to these first two questions, our posture with which we're supposed to have, like what is our posture as a servant and as a steward, and to understand that ultimately we're going to be held accountable for faithfulness, I think it's answered in our third question is, who are we really doing this for? Who are we getting here early to set up chairs for? 
Who are we serving? Who are we in classrooms for? Who am I speaking for? Who am I doing this for? Who are we really doing this for? And that's what he establishes here. He says, look, you are doing it for God alone. And that's where we get mistaken, is we start seeing our gifts and our talents as something for someone else. And we want someone else to pat us on the back. Well, they just didn't appreciate me enough, as if you were doing it for them. You're doing it for God alone. Your faithfulness is for him and no one else. He even answers, he says, look, there's, there, there are going to be three people. There are three people groups that are essentially going to evaluate you in doing this. Just, just in case you're wondering, that's what's happening. When he talks about the judging that's happening to him, it's not a condemnation judge. It's a, an evaluation, like something that would happen to a jury to bring about a verdict. So it's people kind of poking it and, and holding underneath a microscope and going, okay, I see this or I see that. And there we go, he caught you. And I'm going to catch you in this here. That's the judging he's talking about here. Let me, let me just pause real quickly. We are never allowed to judge, condemn someone else. Their scriptures are very clear. We are allowed as, follow believer, as fellow believers to judge the fruit in other people's lives, in other Christians' lives. We are to, to look at this and say, hey, this doesn't look this way, not in a condemning way, but to see, is it fruit or is it not? That is something that God has asked us to do in the scriptures. In fact, even the Apostle Paul talks a little bit in, in Romans and a couple other places where he says, look, you can, you can even judge your leaders in some ways, but it's under this guideline. It's, it's based on are they faithful or not. It's not whether or not you like their style of preaching or you like their style of music or you like the way that they do these things. It's are they faithful. And that's, that there, are, there are healthy ways to have those conversations. The scriptures lay those out for us as well. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is that there are going to be people that are going to evaluate you. Right now, some of you are evaluating me. And if I were really, really honest with you, I, I, I get nervous about that. I hope I'm liked. I don't think it's wrong necessarily, but I do realize that if I spend more time being liked, I'm most likely not being faithful. If I spend more time worrying about what you think of me, then I'm not really being faithful to God. And yes, those two can, they're not mutually exclusive. Those two can coincide together. But what happens is we always get more about the person. So there's three people groups. He says, first off, others will judge you. People are going to do this. Look, at This is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. People are looking at Paul and saying, you know, he just wasn't so fancy in his speaking, so I follow Paulus. Or, you know what, I didn't like the way that he, he used his, his imagery or, you know, his, his, his visual aids was just not there. He didn't have enough good stories or good humor in his, in his speaking. And so I follow Cephas. And that's, that's essentially what they're doing is they're, they're basically evaluating him to bring upon a verdict of he's just not worthy. And people will do that of you. People do that with you on a regular basis. People that aren't in the church, people that are in the church, they will evaluate you. Oh, I just love, you know what, John was great today, but I love it better when he plays piano. You know what, and you know, Hunter was good at piano, but, but really I think I like this. And people will start evaluating these things, and what you're doing is you're bringing about an evaluation that means and makes no sense at all. Others will evaluate you. If I'm truly, truly honest with you, I struggle with this. Some of the stuff that we are going to be teaching in the book of Corinthians, I have no desire to teach. I'll be really honest with you. I'm like, man, I just don't want to do it. Because I know what ultimately is going to happen is, is, is I'm going to lose fans by remaining faithful. That we're going to come across texts that people are going to go, oh, that's a little hard. And instead of people letting the scripture cut at their heart, they're going to blame me. And, and I'll admit, that's hard. As a people pleaser, I'm like, the Lord is having to kill that in me. But I'd much rather be found faithful than have a bunch of fans. I'd much rather, despite my flesh, do what God commands of me so that I could be remaining faithful since that's the standard from which he's holding me accountable to. And this is going to happen in your life. You're going to have to make this decision within your families, within your gospel communities. You're going to have to make the decision, will I remain faithful or will I be cool and fit in so I can have fans? 
Will I do what the Lord commands me in His Scriptures? Will I be an under rower? Or am I going to take my place that I believe I deserve on top of the ship and start guiding my own way? This is the question that you're going to battle with. But you know what's even more interesting than this? He, he lays out another person that will judge you. And he, he says it himself, it, it's yourself. He says, he says look, I, like I, as far as me, my, my conscience is clear now. That seems like a pretty arrogant thing to say. But what he's saying ultimately is, that, look, it doesn't really matter what I think of myself because I don't care. Because I don't matter in the, in the means. What, what, what judgment matters is God's alone. And let me just say this, please. This is just, just a side. We are way too hard on ourselves. You guys, I've been like, it is just unbelievable how quickly we can beat ourselves down. I'm not good enough. I don't do it as well. You know where this really ends up happening is in comparing. You start comparing yourself to someone else, which is an evaluation that means nothing in God's eyes. In fact, it's a detriment to the evaluation that's coming. Because here, here's the thing. No matter how horrible you think you are, the Apostle Paul, again, inspired by, by God here, shows us, that, hey, there's going to be a day it's all going to come to light. Everything, everything's going to come to light. And it's not going to come to light for your neighbor. It's going to come to light for God, between you and God. And that's where he's going to stand. He's going to expose those things. So stop judging yourself. Even judging yourself makes no sense. Now look, there's, there's nothing wrong with self-evaluation. There's nothing wrong with other people evaluating things like, hey, Brent, I see this in you. you, you it might be sinful. I've had, I have wonderful people in my life that do that. There's nothing wrong with that. That is biblical and that's true and that's wonderful. But the problem is, is to start putting down a judgment or a verdict in place that is just not there. How many people in your life have you seen that started out following the Lord on fire and trickled out and never seemed like they knew God at all? Or people that just floundered for year after year after year after year, but then all of a sudden their life just transformed and they had this amazing last year before they died. There are so many ways in which faithfulness can be measured. Stop trying to measure it yourself. It's not for you to do, for yourself or for anyone else. God is the one who will judge us. Even Paul's verdict on himself is incidental. Personal evaluation of his own stewardship is irrelevant in light of his ultimate accountability only to the Lord. It's completely irrelevant. So stop beating yourselves up. Now, if the Spirit is convicting you of sin, then stop ignoring that. But if it's bringing in condemnation and shame and you're just talking about how horrible of a person you are, and that you're, basically what you're doing is you're saying that God's grace just wasn't good enough for you. Or that the ultimate evaluation that God is going to do, you have in some way need to play part and help him in that. Hey, Jesus, I know, I know ultimately you're going to judge me, but let me go ahead and get a few things out of the way first. Like that's such a prideful position to be in. He knows the inner darkest spots of our hearts. He's not confused. He's not like, whoa, Brent, I had no idea you were struggling with that. He is completely aware of every single dark spot in us. And yet he continually loves us and showers us, lavishes us with grace. The fact that Paul knows no failure with regard to his trust likewise counts for nothing since that simply puts it back onto the level of merely human court. So even his own clear conscience does not really acquit him before God because he's like, look, I don't matter. Now, there's nothing wrong with value, but he's saying, like, even if I, in this moment, I, I think I've done everything right. He, says, he said this earlier in chapter 3 and 2 as well, or chapter 2. He's like, I believe I've stewarded what God's asked of me. I've done well here, so I don't see anything in this. But that doesn't even matter whether I do or don't, because I'm not the judge of me. The Lord is. He's my master. I'm an under rower. It's, it's just foolishness for me to make any kind of statements or, act, or decisions based on who I am when I'm completely submitted to someone else. We don't understand this, this slave kind of master thing today, but, but you didn't really have a right at all to think, to be yourself. And that's what he's saying. He's like, look, my master will be the one that's going to tell me how I did or didn't do. It doesn't matter what I think. My master is the one that'll do it. The third one that will value is God. God is 
going to evaluate you. And he bases it, in case you're wondering, on our faithfulness. He's saying, look, ultimately, there's a day. And this is like, I, I don't know about you, this kind of scared me, and then it was really confusing for a second. He said, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. He's talking about the end time. This is an end time thinking. Look, there's going to be judgment on the end times, okay? Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness? Look, I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. Like, all the darkness within me is going to be brought to light. That's pretty scary. It says, the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of your heart. Look at that. There's the motivation of it. This right here cuts to the core of those of you that continue to serve the Lord with a grumbling attitude. I'm just going to serve again, I guess. Like, he's going to expose the purposes of your heart. He's going to expose it. It's going to be brought out. And then, like, I feel like hearing that, I'm kind of like clenching the seat going, wow, that sounds like a horrible day. But then the, then the Apostle Paul ends it with, then each one will receive his commendation, his praise from God. <laughs> whoa, whoa, hang on a second. Exposing darkness, praise from God? Those seem like they don't add up. But what is he doing? Again, remember, he, he promises rewards for those who build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He promises that we will be rewarded for our faithfulness, what we built of gold or silver or precious stone, things that do not burn up in fire. So even though everything's exposed, we're going to experience praise because it's based on our faithfulness, not on how well you like me or how well I think I did. It's based on faithfulness. And my faith is a gift from God. We spent all last year talking about faith in the book of Hebrews. So this is the standard with which he's doing. So the only assessment of Christian workers that counts is not denominational. It's not personal. It's not based on anything other than anyone else, but only that, the Lord who assigned him each his task. The Lord has given you a role. He's gifted you. He's placed you within this body. This isn't, a, you didn't just kind of whimsically pick this. The Lord is in this. He has brought you here for a purpose. And he says, I want you to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ for my glory. Be faithful. Be a under rower. Jump in. Start rowing. That doesn't sound like easy work, does it? The afflictions that the Apostle Paul said, this is what a minister can experience. None of that is a fun list. But it doesn't matter because ultimately we're not, we're not going to get any kind of accommodation by what we did or how well it was responded to, only by the faithfulness with which we have done it. There's the praise that he gives us. So this leads me to two more questions, two-part questions. What are you doing with what you are to be stewarding? And whom are you doing it for? I think if you can answer those two questions, you can really understand a little bit more of the motivation of your heart and everything else. What are you doing with it? If you are, if you are just, man, I'm just, I'm just too busy building my life for God's kingdom, in place of God's kingdom, you have missed it completely. I don't care if you're in school and work six jobs and half of them are babysitting jobs at horrible times. Like, I don't care what, what your role or your life is or how busy it is. Your purpose, your breath that's in your lungs is so that you can be working and stewarding for God's kingdom to be faithful with what he's given you. The parable of the talents in Matthew where Jesus is talking about the talents and the, the master leaves and he gives one five and the person doubles it with five and then he gives another one two and that person doubles it with two and then the last one, the one person that, that was like, I knew you, you were kind of, you, you sowed where you didn't reap and so he buried it, just gave him his one back. A talent's like a million dollars is what they kind of estimate it today. So it's a lot of responsibility. And at the end of the first two, you know what the master says to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say, hey, thanks for doubling my money. It doesn't say, here's a commission. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the standard with which God is going, to, is going to hold us accountable to. So what are you doing with what God has given you? Your time, your talents, your gifts, anything. 
If you know how to do something well, what are you do? how are you using that for God's kingdom? Are you teaching it to other people? Are you, showing, are you showing God's grace through it? Are you using it to show this dark, dark world the light and the glory of Christ? Because you have the mysteries of God in you, the Christ-crucified mysteries that he's talked about. That's, the, that's what they're stewarding. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the message of hope that comes to a broken world. What are you doing with this time in this body? How are you stewarding your gifts? There's seasons. I get it. There's seasons for breaks and time, and you need to, to back out a little bit every now and then. I get that. But ultimately, are you stewarding what God has given you well? where he would see you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then whom are you doing it for? If you aren't doing it for God, if you're doing it for me, for someone else, if you're serving in the band for John, or if you're helping kids ministry for Lindsay, you, you are doing it for the wrong reasons. My two older kids really actually like to serve, and I think they help in the kids ministry, I think. I haven't really fully checked that. But, but I was laughing. I was like, why do, you, why do you like it? Why do you do this? And it's like, well, we love babies, we love to help, and really they just love coming with dad early. And so like all the motivations aren't really right yet, but I was sitting there talking to them like, hey, you know, like that will only last so long. Pretty soon you'll get, you'll get like, I don't want to get up early, dad. Pretty soon you realize that babies, they, they stink and they cry a lot, you know? And you'll be like, I don't want to change those diapers. Those motivations will go. And they, they will literally just, just go away and they won't sustain you. But if you're doing it for the Lord, there is no burnout. Because you're going to be afflicted and you're going to be caused, you're going to, like all those horrible things are going to happen to you. But it doesn't matter because you know who you're doing it for. You're doing it for the Lord. So stop pretending that you're doing it for anyone else. Stop thinking you're doing it for someone else and stop performing as if it is for someone else. Paul's purpose here is to show that because all ministers are no more than servants and steward, because neither will, neither will we nor they can properly evaluate the value and worth of their ministry and because God alone can and will give the proper estimate in a future reckoning day. It is not only destructive, but ridiculous to cause division in the church by arguing over who is the most honored servant. It's just absolutely pointless. And some of you, you're dividing because you're your worst critic. You're isolating yourself because you're so hard on yourself. You're, you're bringing down condemnation on yourself that doesn't even belong there. And some of you are dividing because you're like, I like this gospel community better. I like this church better. And you're, you're literally, you're dividing things by, by these, these metrics which just don't matter or make sense. What will you do? with the things that have been given you. You are being held together by God today. You woke up because he wanted you to wake up today. So he's given you this day, and what will you do with this day? Will you be an under rower? Will you serve within the gifts? Will you recognize that every talent and gift and, and, and money and everything you have is his and that you are just a steward it for his kingdom purposes, not yours? Or will you be unfaithful? Will you, will you live selfishly for yourself? Will you allow other people's voices speak louder than God's in your life? What will you do? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for giving us the ability to serve you. God, forgive me for the ways in which I haven't been a servant. Forgive me in the ways in which I've stewarded poorly, stewarded poorly what you have given. God, I pray that there wouldn't be a single person in this room that wouldn't see everything they have as yours and that wouldn't just give everything they have to be with you and to bring glory to you for your kingdom purposes. God, forgive us for the ways we selfishly build our own kingdom. Forgive us for the ways we squirm out of pain and struggle when you tell us to remain under trials. God, forgive us for the ways in which we've caused divisiveness by using metrics that just don't matter. God, forgive me for trying to please people over being faithful with you. God, I pray that you would give every single one of us a desire to serve you to a full capacity. God, not that we would, not that we would be unhealthy in our boundaries, but God, I pray that we would just pour ourselves out for you. 
that we would no longer look to someone else to pour themselves out for our kingdom or for your kingdom, for our, our community, but instead would see our place in this role. Like, God, we have a place. You have given us a role. You have given us breath today. Let us not waste it. I pray that we be marked as servants as we, as we continue to move forward in this valley. God, I pray that you would bring many that don't know you into your kingdom through our faithfulness and that you alone would get the glory for that. God, for the individuals that are here that don't know you, that have been maybe like the idea of you, even when they see a list of, wait a minute, to, to be broken and, and hungry and, and, and beaten and, and all the afflicted and all those things, that means to follow you. Even when they look at that list, like, man, I don't, I don't know if I really want that. God, would you show them that there's nothing better than being afflicted for you? There's nothing better than that, Lord. Father, we love you and we thank you for the ability to, to steward. We thank you for your trust in us, giving us your spirit so that we can discern how to, to walk in this world that is so broken. And Lord, we just pray. We pray that you would please... Please help us to keep our motivations right. Help us to, help us to see that it's, it's only measured by our faithfulness. And God, please, please don't let us do this for anyone else but you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have tried very hard to not talk about this on a regular basis. And that's not because we're afraid of talking about it or because we're worried about what you guys may think. It's because we really want to honor this space as services to not spend our time talking about business things. And so I wanted to or offer you guys an opportunity to hear about where we are with the building and kind of the summer tour that's coming for Rev22. So there's, uh, for those of you that don't know, there's been a lot of new families that have come. In the last eight months, we've been raising money to cover the tenant improvements for a building that someone else bought for us to use long-term in downtown Boise. And so the building has been bought for us, which has been awesome. We're going to lease it at three to four bucks a foot by the time the end of our lease term is there. So it's just incredibly huge blessing that God has opened a door for us. And we had to raise $320,000 to cover the tenant improvements. And that also um, and then we also had asked for another 80 to help cover the ex- lease expense just so that we weren't house poor when we got in. We wanted to kind of make sure we're, we're covered there. And in eight months, I just want to tell you this, this is incredible. In eight months, now remember this, there were about 17 churches that also gave us about 34,000 of this to be downtown. 17 different churches in the valley helped us. In eight months, we're at $290,000 on hand. Like just incredible. Yeah, praise God. It's awesome. It's huge. And then we still have a bunch of money that's committed over three years just to give you a little bit of a heads up, we're eight months into that three-year commitment. So if you said, hey, I want to give this amount of money over the next three years, you've been to eight months of your, your commitment is in the way. So hopefully you are on track with that. We also are sending out our summer, we kind of do pre-summer giving reports. We do the pre-summer and then a fall and then also the end of the year. This is just to help you guys know where you are at. So you should be getting those in the mail soon. We still need to cover our 320. If you do math, you're like, 290, that's not 320, you're right. We need 30,000, that's the building. $30,495 will cover the tenant improvements. We need that by the time we end. So when we go in, when we move in, now you're like, when are we moving in? That's great. Well, before that, pray about this. I want to do three things. We ask three things. If you're new here and this is like, man, I haven't come and I haven't been a part of this and I'm excited about it, I would love if you would prayerfully consider to help us finish this, this shortage here. It's not much. I think what God has done has been incredible. If you're here and you're like, man, I've already given to this, I would love for you to prayerfully, obediently just ask the Lord if he asks any more of you. Again, it may not be anything. And if you're here and you're like, I haven't given to this at all, I would ask you to please prayerfully consider giving to this. And some of you are like, man, I don't know, 100 bucks. That's all I can give. I don't know if that's much. Well, if about 300 adults attendance on Sunday... That's there if everyone gave $100. So it's not, it's not a far stretch, and I believe that God is going to do it, so we would ask you to just prayerfully consider to help us finish this. Honestly, guys, I just I want to kind of be done with this and move on to the other stuff, so can we just, like, let's just hammer this out and get it done in the next month. That'd be awesome, okay? <clears throat> next thing is really important is schedule. 
So we are, this, Foothills is moving out of here. The Foothills School is moving out of here is in June. So there's going to be boxes and it's going to be kind of chaotic. But here is our summer tour as of right now. We're going to put it up there. <laughs> Whoa, crazy. Okay. So we're in Foothills School for the next three weekends. Okay. That, that's here in case you guys, where's Foothills School? That's here. Okay. We're here for the next three weekends and we still need to set up and tear down. So if you guys are like, man, I have like, I'm just tired of setting up tear down. Yeah, seven and a half years, guys. Okay, I'm ready there too. So like, we'd love it if we could finish strong. Okay, so like, come early, help us get it in or stay a little bit after, help us get out. So we're gonna be in Foothill School for those three weeks. So next weekend, when most people are out of town, we'll be here. Um, June 2nd, June 9th. And then June 16th is our church-wide camp out. So the services are actually up there in, in Sugarloaf Campground. So 1030 service, it's all we're having up there, baptisms as well. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And then we'll be back in here. The plan is to be back in here on June 23rd. And that would be our potential last Sunday in this school, okay? That's the plan right now. Now, if you've ever done any building process and you've ever dealt with anything with the city, that could change quite a bit, okay? <laughs> so, but right now, they said our, our, our occupy date, our occupation date will be the, end of the beginning of July is what we're thinking. So we decided we would do June 30th, Esther Simplot Park or Quinn's Pond right over by the new building, right over here. We're going to do one service outside. Big old family bash. We're going to ask you guys to bring your lunches and just hang out and play in the water afterwards and, and, and just be a family together. Invite people to that. be exciting. And then we will, our first Sunday in July is our Serve Your Neighbor Week. We do serve the cities three times a year. The Serve Your Neighbor is where we say, hey, we're closing our doors. We want you guys to have a whole week to invite your neighbors, throw a barbecue. Don't say it's from the church. Just do that. We, we give our gospel communities a little bit of money to do that as well and say, host a neighborhood barbecue. Get out and do that. We'll probably do, we're hoping to do an open house at the building on that Sunday so you guys can come in and see some of it. And just in case you're wondering, that open house requires a lot of people helping us after June 23rd to move all of our stuff over there. So there's, all these things are happening, okay? And then our very first Sunday in the new facility from then on will be July 14th is the plan, okay? So, so that's the plan. So that is what I need you guys to pay attention to. Three things that need to happen that are really, 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 really key, Okay? But we've probably saved almost $45,000 just because of volunteers and work that's happened in the new building. Like, it's just incredible how much volunteers have done. That being said, we need more. So, so we're going to need to clean. I don't know if you've ever seen construction sites. It's pretty bad, okay? We still have some painting that needs to be done. There are some other projects that are going to need to be done. If you've, like, been holding out or you've been wanting to do stuff, now's the time to get involved. We will have a way to get you in no matter when you want to be available. Also, we are... As we move into the new facility, we've been experiencing growth as a church, which is fine, and we're excited about that, but we are, we are short kind of in every area. We need, we need some help. A lot of college students went home for the summer, so that left some holes in, in everywhere, from our greeting team to ushers to, to kids' ministry. Like, we are, we are needing help, and then we are actually going to need, we have more, more places to volunteer in the new facility. So now, if ever was a great time for you to go, man, I should maybe be faithful with what God has given me, and step in and volunteer. That'd be awesome. So if you could please, and then the other thing you need to do is memorize this thing. We'll put it on Facebook, but like, I would hate for you to show up at Quinn's Pond the wrong weekend, okay? So, so like, just pay attention to where we are. If you know people that are coming, like, hey, I want to come visit you, or I wanna, you're inviting people, just make sure you know where the summer tour will be. Again, we will know as we get closer, there's a chance that all of that stuff might move back. Foothills has been gracious to give us a week-to-week -week here, which is nice, so we're not having to pay for weeks that we're not here the whole month, so that's been awesome. But this is going to be our schedule through the summer. We're super, super excited. And I want to just, one last charge, okay? Again, the, God has allowed our church to just have a really unique spot in downtown Boise. 
And the, even the fact that 17 other churches gave us that much money to help us stay in downtown Boise just shows that God is unifying the valley. We will have a lot of brothers and sisters probably visiting us just to see it. Again, not necessarily like church hopping or whatever. I would love for us to be marked hospitality, like being hospitable. Like even if they're not coming, I would love us to be good at saying hello to people <laughs> and, and polite with people because there are people showing up. Also, as weird as it may sound, there are a lot of people that don't go to church that may use a new facility as an opportunity to kind of see something. And I would love for the Lord to use this building far beyond it just being us there on Sundays and allowing people to come to know him. By the way, the, the names that everyone put over Easter on the framing, I mean, if you want to just come see it, it's, it's open Monday through Thursday. So come by. Please be prayerfully considering about helping us finish the, the, the finances and prayerfully considering how to volunteer. And then also, I would just encourage you, um, a lot of people will use this as an excuse to visit a church that maybe are de-churched, meaning they've been burned by the church and don't want to go to church anymore, or they're just, don't go to church at all. Like, this is an opportunity for you to invite people in, just say, hey, come see what we're doing, and, and then not expect us to save them, but keep walking with them beyond the building, please. All right, guys, God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.